Welcome to this week's episode of the Tyson Pre-Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad you've taken the time to listen. I know without a doubt you're going to enjoy today's show. I am here for you. King Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23 that we are to guard our heart for out of it flow the issues of life. And so my hope for you is that as you listen and learn to this podcast, you would guard your heart guard that intersection of your emotions, your intellect, and out of that flows your physical response to the world around us. Well, with me today is a person that I have gotten to know over the last oh year or so, and uh, he is an inspiration. He's a man on the move. He does not sit still, and you'll, <laughs> I'm sure you will find out as I get to talk to him and ask him questions. But with me is Jody Pastori. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tyson. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, I always like to interview and talk to people that I know have made transitions from one thing to the next, um, that are busy, got their hands in a lot of things, because I think it's people like that that we can learn from as we go through transitions and changes in life. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and we can get into your story. Well, uh, I am the pastor of the First Baptist Church of South Charleston in South Charleston, West Virginia. It's a small but a finally a growing church after I've been there many years. And um, I am a, a husband to uh, Brenda, who is a retired school teacher that has 37 years of, uh, of uh, teaching a kindergarten class at last. And I uh, have two daughters and I have four grandchildren. And um, I'm uh, uh, just now in the prime of my life at 58 years old and just enjoying life to its fullest. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. 37 years in the teaching business. That is just incredible. Um, in fact, I would probably even call it a Herculean event. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been my wife's, my wife's been 40 years in the pastorate, so uh, I've got her beat by three so far. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. My wife's been teaching for 23 years. Um, and I'll just say it every year is every year that she keeps going is impressive. I can't even imagine 37. Um, I've been pastoring myself for 12. You've been at it for 40. I just, wow. Um, congratulations, man. The pastorate, <laughs> the pastorate can, um, have its highs and lows. Um, but through it all, God is faithful, um, and right. doesn't let us down. So that's the one hope that we cling to for sure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, what I know you served, um, in the army, I believe, is that correct? Yes. Uh, I, uh, went in unusually, uh, uh, at an adult age, uh, my, uh, uncle, uh, who oh, was okay. a green, who was a green beret, um, called me up and said, uh, we need a chaplain. We don't have any chaplains anymore in the military. And uh, I was like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, we really need a chaplain bad. And uh, so I said, well, what do you got to do? And he said, I don't know. So I went down to the recruiter's office and the guy says, I can't recruit you. And I said, why not? And he said, um, because uh, we don't recruit officers. And I said, well, I'm not an officer. And he said, you will be. The moment you're recruited, um, I didn't know it, but doctors, hmm. lawyers, and chaplains with master's degrees are given a direct commission. 
uh, from the Pentagon. So the first wow. day that wow. uh, I, first day that I went into okay. The, so let me go ahead. Let me yeah. Let me hold you up just for a minute. Okay. So you said you were old adult age when yes. you went in. Yes. Uh, uh, can you share what age that is? What year is that? And with, I mean, if you don't want to give all the these numbers away, yeah, that's, that's okay. Fine. That's um, fine. I was I was thirty. You had your master's, it sounds like. So yeah, I was thirty six years old with a master in divinity, and uh, almost had my oh my doctorate, goodness, almost had a doctorate completed. I was teaching college classes uh, for our denomination. I was pastoring a church, and I had a supermarket. And um, so uh, two, two daughters and a wife. So I was just a little bit busy at the time. <laughs> and uh, so here I show up. Oh, my goodness. Okay. There's basic course. You weren't kidding. Yeah. In Fort Jackson uh, and um, didn't even know how to wear the uniform and uh, handed me a certificate. I was the first lieutenant out the gate. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So. I, I assume then as chaplain, just fill me in because I don't have a military background. You, um, you had to go through army boot camp and everything as well. No, it's not boot camp, but it's boot camp for officers. It's a um, an officer okay. uh, basic course, and it's it's similar to boot camp. Um, the only difference is we didn't have you know fifty people living in a barracks. We had our own uh, private apartment that we went to at night, but everything else. <laughs> and oh, and instead of, instead of, you know, um, learning about throwing grenades over the wall during the day, we sat in class for eight to mm -hmm. 10 hours at a time learning uh, army uh, law. And, you know, basically we started with the constitution, the federalist papers, and we went all the way to, you know, to today, it was, it was a really good historical uh, history lesson and everything else. Wow. Okay. So help me out. There has, there has to be more to it than just your uncle going, Hey, the army needs chaplains. I mean, what, what's stirring in your heart and in your mind, you're 36 years old. You've already got an established family. <clears throat> you're teaching college courses with a master's and you're like, yeah, let me put on the greens and let me go and I had a really profitable business too. So uh, uh, my uncle was in the Army National oh my Guard in uh, in West Virginia, <clears throat> and um, he is he was highly decorated and um, not a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I took that as a challenge, um, you know, to to go after oh, okay. these guys that were in the Green Beret uh, because those are always the, the tough guys, you know, supposedly. But um, what really inspired me was my uh, mother's parents came from Israel and my father's parents, mm -hmm. his, his dad came from Italy. And uh, as an immigrant, say, you know, uh, I've always thought that if there's ever an opportunity to serve our country and pay it back, I, I just always wanted to pay it back. But I went to college out of mm -hmm. high school, got my four year degree went into pastoring at, you know, um, I was a youth evangelist mm -hmm. before I was 18 years old. 
And so by the time I was about 18 years old, I was pastoring churches. So I really never had time just to stop my life and go and and give it to the army. And so my uncle calls me up and he says, uh, hey, he says, you know, we need chaplains and you have to have a four-year degree. You have to have a master's degree. You have to be uh, able to run two miles in a sprint. Basically, you have to be able to you know, march 10 miles with us with a full rucksack. You have to be able to do 90 push-ups and 90 sit-ups under two minutes. And I'm like, yeah, that's nothing. You know, I can do that. I was in real good shape. <laughs> um, so, okay. so long story short, I signed up and went and uh, it was supposed to be, uh, you know, the old saying is one week in a month and uh, two weeks a year. Well, the first year, I think I was in hmm. uh, special schools becoming a combat uh, um, lifesaver and all this stuff, um, airborne school and all this. I think I was in schools for six months out of the wow. first year and then uh, served about, I guess, about seven years before Iraq opened up. And um, immediately when okay. Iraq uh, opened up, we were some of the first soldiers on the ground. So I got to, I got a free trip wow. to see the, uh, the Holy land started out what? where Abraham, uh, in Ur of the Chaldees and went up to Babylon yeah. and then, uh, ended up in the ancient mm-hmm. city of Mosul, which is actually Nineveh in the Bible. So, um, you know, it was really, yeah. a, okay. a Sam free trip <laughs> got shot at <laughs> in the meanwhile, well. you know, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, let me, let me back up. When you say Iraq, you're talking about the first war in 92. No, that's the Gulf war. This was in yeah, 2000. Okay. This was in February of 2004. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yes. Not the Persian okay. Gulf war, but the, uh, uh, operation Iraqi freedom. Yeah. OIF. Yes. Okay. So you're on the, okay, so let me just get this in context. You're on the ground. You're one of the first ones in as a chaplain, right? Um, and you're getting shot at. Oh, yeah. Um, now, you're, you're, your mind has to be racing with your understanding of scripture and ancient cultures and so on. Um, my minor was in Islamic studies. Oh, my gosh. So what's going through your mind at this point as you're as you're in Iraq? Um, <laughs> what's you know bullets are flying? Yet you have a deeper understanding than probably your peers do. What, what's going through your mind? My, what went through my mind honestly was number one: we're going to win this war because Saddam had previously challenged um, the God of the infidels. And some people don't see that part, but I believe that mm. was spiritual warfare that was going on, uh, more so than, than yes. other people I'm sure understood. I also knew that, um, I was going in with, with my friends, uh, from my home state and my brothers, that's what I called them. And I also knew I was there to present mm-hmm. the gospel to the unsaved. And uh, that was my uh, heart was to present the gospel to these men. And um, we had a lot of what the Baptists call rededications of guys, you know, who had been saved and wasn't really walking with God. But I was privileged enough to baptize 23 
brand new believers in the uh, river where the Tigris, Tigris, the Euphrates, and the Pison River meets. Um, so if you look that up in the wow. book of Genesis, you'll find out that uh, that's, yeah, that's a pretty important place. <laughs> that is a heck of a place to be baptized. It was beautiful. <laughs> For as, as far as you uh-huh. can see around us, it was nothing but beautiful palm trees. Yeah. And it was really neat the morning That's that incredible. the the morning that we uh, were baptizing these guys, we had to set up a parameter of security with fifty caliber machine guns and uh, you know snipers and stuff like that to protect us. So um, mm-hmm. we went the night before and scoped out the area. And I, I really didn't do this on purpose. People think that we did, but we didn't because it was dark when we went in. But we found these this place where there was two bridges, you know, on the side of this river, and um, it was dark yeah. outside, like I said. And uh, when the sun came up, uh, I started motioning for the guys to line up and come down to be baptized in this river. And uh, as soon as the sun came up, I heard the guys go, wow. And I was like, yeah, it's a beautiful sunshine. You know, what they were wowing about was one of the largest mosques. Uh, in the whole country was in the background of us. So we were baptizing in the name of the Father, <laughs> the Son, and the Holy Spirit right in front of the largest mosque in the country. Okay, so let me, let me just <laughs> exactly let me ask you this question. Correct. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not exactly let politically me, correct. Yeah, let me ask you this. Yeah, let me ask you this question. Was, Sad- was Saddam still in power when you were at the at this point? Was he still? No, Saddam was hiding in a spider hole okay. not very many miles away. Yes. Okay. So Saddam, yes, who had challenged the God of the infidels, now has infidels getting baptized just a few miles away from his spider hole. <laughs> um wow. That's just I mean it, it <laughs> You know, it reminds me of all of the times in the Old Testament uh, where David and Goliath probably is the most famous, right? Where Goliath challenges the Israeli God, you know, Jehovah. He challenges him. Um, And what does David reply? David replies, I don't come against you with the armies of Israel. I come against you in the name of, you know, Jehovah. Because Um, the battle is the Lord's. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, we got two pastors on this podcast now, so it might get a little <laughs> preachy. Um, but yeah, I, and it was so interesting. This, I, I think, it was so yeah. interesting that we thought we were in a an isolated place, and it's you know you could be driving across the desert, and if you stopped, all of a sudden it's just like from nowhere people appear. It's just like out of thin air. Um, but we uh, thought we were baptizing in an isolated place. And uh, that day when we went into a city called Anasaria, there were people who were asking my translator. I had an Iraqi translator and uh, they were asking him and doing the motions of baptism what this was all about. So every time that he was sharing with them what this was all about, they were hearing the story of Jesus, how he was buried and he rose again from the dead and their eyes would get as big as saucers. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that's not, um, yeah, that's, they, uh, they have not heard that story. That's, that's completely foreign to them. So how long then were you in Iraq then? 
Well, we were in um, Fort Bragg six months before we took off. We were in Iraq for a year. And then the night that uh, two nights, I believe, or the night before, I can't really remember because um, either the night or two nights before we pulled out, I had already packed my stuff. And um, I went out to the desert um, to relieve myself to pee. <laughs> and that's all I remembered. Uh, I remember waking up in a, uh, in a army hospital and, uh, they medevac me over to um, the Launchstuhl regional medical center in Germany because I had a stroke. Um, my job was to go in to make peace with the local warlords, which we call imams, the religious guys, leaders. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. So I spent another about six months in the hospital in Germany and Walter Reed and in, uh, in Washington, D.C. So that was the end of my military career. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry, I, I was taking notes. So you, you said you had a stroke? Right, right. Yes. Uh-huh. We're just out in the, middle, in the middle of the night, relieving yourself in the desert. You have a stroke. Well, in the Iraq war, because yeah, yeah, what well, you Come know, on, I'm, Jody. Just, I'm What's the weirdest, weirdest uh, bird you've ever talked to, probably. But um, <laughs> with my translator and my bodyguard, um, I used to go to the imam's house, and um, we would go into their living room, which they mm-hmm. call a diwania, and um, they wanted you before you okay. talk about any negotiations to secure peace for your guys and their community on their land. You had to eat with them. Mm. You discuss their family. Mm-hmm. Then you uh, smoke uh, a cigar uh, or a hookah, which I was not about to smoke a hookah because yep. they usually had hashish or something in them, you know, and uh, hallucinogens or opiates yeah. or something like that. So I always brought Cuban cigars and uh, you smoke a cigar and talk about wait, 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 wait. Cuban cigars, absolutely. You can't get them. You can't get them in the country, but, but the military were, can take them to, they, to Iraq. You know, How does that work? You know, we went down to Faha Hill in Kuwait City, Kuwait, and they sold Cuban cigars okay. just like we sell candy bars. So I'd get a box okay. of fifty, you know, and uh, um, and take them with me. Yeah, and uh, so then after you smoked, uh, then you could talk business with them. Um, so that, that was my job. Well, when I ate with them, I ingested, uh, parasites. Um, and when I drank the hot tea, Mm -hmm. the chai, um, you know, all that just didn't go well with my body. And, uh, so ended up my kidneys shut down and, um, I had a stroke. Okay. So what's going through your, at this point, right? This is a, this is a pivotal moment. I'm, I'm assuming in your life where, you're now about to make a transition and a change, right? No more, no more military. Um, you're not going to serve. Walk us through that transition. What's going through your mind? What are you thinking? And then what advice would you give to people that are having to make a really hard transition? Um, well, what advice would you give? A lot of the transitions that I've made in my life are just like that. They're abrupt. They're blunt. And I do not, I did not have a choice in the matter. And uh, so the greatest thing that I always uh, think to myself is I can't control this, but I serve a God who can. Mm. And 
we were in the middle of a firefight one night, and I don't mean participating like around the circle of firefight. We were in the middle of exchange of a firefight one yeah. night where the enemy was in front of us shooting at us and the second infantry was in the back of us shooting at us. And our vehicle mm. was getting lit up with bullets and everybody, you know, of course is panicking and rolling underneath the vehicle and returning fire. And I just sat there and folded my arms and stretched back and put my feet uh, <laughs> on the dashboard and braced myself. And I said, Lord, I belong to you. And here I am. And I'm tired of this. I was mm. at about eight months at the time. I'm tired of this. And uh, if you want to take me home, I'm ready. And um, after all wow. the, the noise and everything was over, um, you know, I told the guys, I said, well, are we ready to roll? And they were like, you've lost it. We've got to get you help and all this stuff, you know. So they take <laughs> me to this, take me to the psychologist the next day. And uh, he's got uh -huh. a little tent set up, you know, and he says, uh, we need yeah. to talk. I said, we do. And he says, sure. And uh, he, he explained to me that guys were real concerned about my mental health because uh, I didn't panic and didn't roll under the vehicle and all that stuff, you know. And I just looked at him and sure. I said, uh, well, let me ask you this. And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, when you've been uh, drug across several uh, countries and continents and you're wore out and you're tired and um, you're not afraid of anything, um, I said, you know, what do you have to lose? And he said, I don't understand what you're asking me. And I said, well, I said, I'm a believer in Christ. And I said, that applies to everything in my life. And I said, everything in my faith, I believe that God controls because he's a sovereign God. And I said, that doesn't mm. mean that I don't have free will or that I don't need to get out in front of a moving bus and have common sense. Mm -hmm. But it does mean that whatever happens to me, that God is in control of that. And he smiled and he said, do you have a wish to die? And I laughed and I said, I don't not have a wish to die, but I don't have a wish to die. I have a wish to live to the glory of God. And that's the goal of my life. And yeah. he laughed and he said, so what would happen if you got shot up? And I said, what do I have to lose? If I live, I'm going to minister to these soldiers <laughs> for the rest of this tour. If I die, I'm going to be in the presence of God immediately who loves me. And he laughed and he says, well, I'm not yeah. going to tell you this, but I'm a believer too. He says, get out of my tent. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you what his diagnosis was. Okay. That was his diagnosis. Get out of my tent. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> That's, that is awesome. You know, what, what comes to mind is what David said in the Psalms, right? You prepared a table in the middle of my enemies. And, Amen. And the world the world around us doesn't understand the peace we have despite the circumstance. Yes. Um, now it's not to say we never panic or we don't ever get concerned or maybe we don't battle worry or anxiety, but at the root, at the core, it's like, okay, you know, it is what it is. God's in charge. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. That's your foundation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as we, as people go through transitions, it's very difficult to manage a transition like that. If you don't have an anchor, right. If you don't That's have right. something holding you down. That's right. Um, and so knowing that the creator of the universe loves you is so huge in, in keeping your bearings in a transition. 
Um, and well, being able, being I, able to I let go. Guess, go ahead. Go ahead. I guess at this time, as late as it was in my life, and I know, you know, in your thirties is not really late, but I had had so many transitions that it was just another one. Mm-hmm. You know, the first transition that you make mm-hmm. in your life scares you to death. It's like going from, you know, grade school to junior high, junior high to high school and high school to real life. And that's the first transition, mm-hmm. I think, that you really have a hard time with. But after doing so many, um, I was married when I was 18 years old. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so after doing so many transitions at a young age, really, that wasn't such a, a great deal for me. Um, you know, Giant. God takes you on this little hill and then finally you, you, you get to climb the mountain and those mountains, it seems, in your life just get bigger and bigger as he grows your faith. Yeah. Yeah. So you, let's go back to the moment where um, you're in the middle of the desert and you have a stroke, you wake up uh, in Germany. Is that right? Well, I actually woke up in a hospital in Kuwait. Yeah. Okay. Took me, okay. took me down to, to Kuwait city, Kuwait. Um, so what did they tell you? I mean, what, what was the message they were conveying to you? Uh, the, the doctor, uh, told me to stand up and he told me to lift one arm up and lift the other arm up. Of course, I couldn't lift my left arm up very well. It was weak. And mm. then he pressed on my two hands and he says, your left side's weaker than your right side. And he says, we're going to fly you out of here this afternoon. So that afternoon I'm sitting around and, and I feel good, but I just can't walk very far. I'm just wore out. My left side is really weak. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they yeah. fly me to Germany on this humongous uh, air transport hospital plane. I think it's called a C-5. And uh, okay. man, that thing was just massive. And uh, yeah. fly me to yeah. Germany. And I think uh, uh, at that time, I think it was the largest hospital in the world at Launchstuhl Regional Medical Center there in Germany. So they set up all these appointments for me and uh, um, neurologists and scans and all this stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So they set all that up. And what, do you, what are you telling yourself? I mean, what's the internal self-communication going on at that point? Well, I had to, I had to really talk to myself because when you're in a combat zone, there are certain things that you do and do not do. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the things that you do not do is you don't allow your vehicles to get within 30 meters of each other, because if you do, you're presenting a target and, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of times ambushes and a lot of things happen. So when the Iraqi, um, vehicles came close enough to us, we would fire a warning shot. And if the warning shot didn't work, then, you know, other measures were taken, but um, I can remember just getting on the bus in Germany when we got there to, to go from the airport to the hospital that all of these uh, vehicles were coming close to us. And my blood pressure was going through the roof. And I mean, wow. I was getting ready just to scream, stop, we can't be this close, you know. And so I literally sat there and I began to talk to myself. You are no longer in Iraq. You're no longer in combat. No one's going to be shooting at you. I mean, all of that. And then I brought in scripture, you know, and and began to meditate and the Lord. And, and, you know, I would get extremely angry 
you know, uh, they okay. said, we're going to keep you at, at this hospital for a while. And I'm like, no, if I'm not in, in the war, I'm going home. And they're like, no, you're staying here. Mm. So my blood pressure just, you know, skyrockets. And I'm like, no, I'm going home. I've been away from my teenage daughters now, you know, for two years and my wife, mm. you know, I'm concerned about them. And uh, so I'm just telling myself, Lord, may the the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing yeah. unto you so that I don't just, just lose it. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. Embarrass oh, myself sure. Yeah. And, and everyone else around me, you know, by, by saying the wrong things. Right. Yeah. I want to thank Jody for being on this week. That is part one of our interview. Actually, I had planned for our discussion just to be one podcast, but it actually turned into two podcasts. So thank you for listening this week to part one. I hope you found that interesting. I hope you found that inspirational. Listen, if you need somebody to talk to, if you're looking for somebody to help you through a transition in life, be sure to reach out to me, Tyson at TysonPriest.com. Would love to coach you through that transition, work with you, empower you to do everything that God has called you to do and do everything that you want to accomplish that I know God has wired you to do. So be sure to tune in to next week's podcast as we finish up Jody's story. You don't want to miss the second half as he talks about owning businesses and being a CEO and being the pastor of the church there in his town and being in political office as he is. So until next week, own it out.